Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. I have an absolutely fascinating draft topic. and We get people... Uh, who, who bring me the most interesting stuff here this time of year in terms of the draft and their their connection to it. Uh, here to do it today is Spencer Peterson. He's been on the show before. Spencer, how are you doing? Good, Ken. How are you doing? Can't complain at all. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work online, first of all, where do you, on Twitter or wherever you talk football with people. So mostly on Twitter, you can find me at SpencerCP. That's S-P-E-N-S-E-R-C-P on Twitter. Okay. Unusual. S-P-E-N-S-E-R instead of C-E-R. Okay. So the topic you have for us today, I don't want to steal it from you here, but it's percentile rankings. As soon as an actuary, of course, here's the word percentile. He probably wants to do the topic. So you had me there. But percentile rankings for drafted players, uh, you're, you're basically are setting an expectation based on what, about 30 years of draft history or 20? It's 20. So starting with the start of free agency, which we can set, kind of set as a line of maybe the modern draft analytics timeframe, you know, the Jimmy Johnson chart coming to be, that sort of thing, running through 2012 when we'd have players with 10 years of, of data or 10 years of statistics under their belt to sort of evaluate. Okay. And and we've seen a lot, of course, of different systems use AV as a metric they judge career value for. Uh, you stuck with that? Yeah. It, it provides a good way to sort of sift uh, or separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit of a clunky methodology at times, but for these purposes of looking through 50 or 60 players drafted at a position over a given period of time, it's a, it's a helpful way to, to compare players without having to do the full film breakdown or statistical analysis. Right. There you go. And, and uh, I, I understand that the, the, the AV system works off points per drive offensively or defensively differences from the league. And then it, it basically sh- shares all those points among the players on offense and defense in a way that is kind of 
questionable. But the but the real question that we have with AV, my my question about career AV versus draft position is teams need to get basically all of that value from the draft pick or as much as possible on the first contract. That's true. Yep. And we're looking at career AV here. Thought about that and knew you'd raise that point uh, when we spoke, Ken. But uh, the thinking of this was that it's a lot easier to look at the totality of the career and understand what that player, what the type of player we're talking about is versus individual. uh, You know, some players may have really peaked in that first four years and then they fall off a cliff. And when we say, Mm -hmm. you know, you really want to draft a player that's like this, it, it just might not come across the same way or be as digestible. Sure. And, I, and I'm not, I'm of course, not trying to bash the study because this is fascinating stuff. We're going to get into this and this is absolutely fascinating. Dwayne Starks might be the ideal player you want to draft who has a ton of value on his first contract and then falls off a cliff. He was totally worth the number 10 overall draft pick for the Ravens. I, I still maintain there are people who say you don't really want that kind of a player. He produced for the Ravens and they, they got all that value out on the first contract. They didn't pay him a second contract. Uh, was a great deal. But why don't we talk about the the 2022 draft picks? Because that's what everybody wants to hear about. Absolutely. And so, uh, Ken, the idea here was everyone's super excited about this draft. A lot of uh, national media pundits are saying it's the best draft in the league or top five. And, uh, you know, as we look back at past drafts, fans like to talk about which picks were good, which picks were bad. Goal here is to sort of set an expectation up front of what we would expect from each of these picks. And really the goal is for each pick to say, compare to what? So what is the baseline that we would evaluate each of these picks against? What do we expect them to become? What is the 50th percentile outcome at a given draft position? What is the 75th percentile? Anything above that 75th percentile, that you know, that's hitting a home run with the pick. Anything above 50th percentile, you know, that's, that's slightly above expectation. And maybe anything below 50th percentile is a dud or a bust or however you want to call it. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't want it. And did you find that they typically had a tail where the good outcomes, the ones over fifty percent, tend to have a very long tail of difference, and the ones that are under fifty percent tend to be more lumped around uh, very low AV totals. Yeah, exactly. And, and you see this more as you go deeper into the draft. So the front, the early portion of the draft, you're going to have a much more linear distribution of from the low end to the high end, mm-hmm. and part of that would come from. AV is biased towards playtime. So a top they, pick. They're automatically starters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas your sixth rounders, seventh rounders, you have a lot of guys who don't even make the roster. And so you have a lot of blanks in the data set at that point or zeros mm-hmm. in AV. So for example, <clears throat> this isn't one of the guys we're going to talk about today, but Geno Stone, safety for the Ravens today, mm-hmm. is already at the 50th percentile career AV expectation for his spot as a DB drafted in the seventh round. What's well, about one? <laughs> Two. But yeah, Two. give yeah, or take. Yeah. And that's some of the lumpiness in how you assign AV. But yeah. there's about the bottom third probably never played a game in the, in the NFL, if I, if I look back at the data here. That's, that sounds about right. And and I, I know seventh round picks, the Ravens have never really had a, a particularly successful one. They had uh, Tyson, uh, what was the guy's name? Defensive lineman. Not Tyson and, Williams. No. This is this guy played in about uh, 2008 to 10 kind of era, and he was a seventh round pick. He, I think he might have even played in the Super Bowl. Hmm. Uh, but uh, but anyway, he, he, he's one of their best seventh round picks, along with Ralph Staten. So there's not a lot to choose from at that point. Yeah. And, and just another player to mention very briefly um, why this idea sort of percolated before I put together the numbers themselves. Last year in, in Baltimore, Matt Judon playing on the franchise tender probably a wash in terms of value. You, know, you, you overpay a little bit to keep a guy back for, for one year of, you know, mm-hmm. you get, keep him from going to free agency. But before that, you know, saw a lot of chatter on Twitter, online message boards about how Matt Judon didn't really become what we expected. And he was an okay pick, but the guy was a fifth round pick that what you got out of Matt Judon is an absolute home run from a value. Oh yeah. And so oh, absolutely. some of the, the genesis of how this idea started coming together and wanting to really set that baseline of what can you reasonably expect from a, a player at a given position in the draft. Yeah, this is this is absolutely a fantastic effort. I want I want to go through the individual players here. Yep. Okay. And maybe I'll just set the stage really quickly of, of what the pick tranches we're talking about are. Mm-hmm. So in order to set the expectation, originally tried to do a regression model and it gets really complicated with different positions, the way they uh, get assigned AV. So it, it gets really messy. So I, I decided to go with something a little bit simpler where you take the pick that each player was drafted at, mm-hmm. go seven picks in either direction. And the goal there is to set a 15 pick band 
that's about half a round so that you can compare kind of like for like at a position players drafted around each of the Raven picks, Mm -hmm. um, what you'd expect for them. And that's to cut through some of the, the lumpiness of lumpiness of draft picks, uh, First round, late first rounders may be more like a, an early second rounder than otherwise. But jumping into it here, Kyle Hamilton, the first pick we want to talk about, pick mm-hmm. number 14. So the band that we created was between the 7th and the 21st pick. Mm-hmm. Safeties drafted between 7 and 21 from 1993 to 2012. And that gives us a list of 12 safeties. The median of which being somewhere in between Mark Barron, who was drafted by Tampa Bay in 2012 in the first round, at pick number 7. And Michael Griffin, yep. Michael Griffin, who Tennessee took out of Texas in uh, 2007 with the 19th pick. So they had 58 career AV and 55 respectively. Two Pro Bowls between them, 16 total starting seasons. Presumably both those guys being first round draft picks. And I don't remember actually were installed as starters in their rookie year. That or got significant play time. Yep. Yep. So... Interesting. Okay. Baron and Griffin. Okay. So those names are not exceptionally well known, but uh, you know, they played in the NFL for a while, certainly, and they, they did some good things. Um, don't think that's the kind of value the Ravens are hoping to get from those players. So who represents the 75th percentile? 75th percentile is Malcolm Jenkins for New Orleans, who started for 12 seasons or is the primary starter for 12 seasons, three pro bowls, no all pros, but has been Almost was almost a uh, 200 game starter there out of Ohio State, and would be a really good outcome if if uh, Hamilton could turn into to Malcolm Jenkins and you know be a safety that locks down a starting position for for 10 years at positive contribution. So most of your guys, so he's actually 13 years in the NFL, and he and I I guess from your spreadsheet here, it looks like he retired at the end of 21. I I don't know that for a fact. He's that he's still not playing, planning to play somewhere here, or that just goes through 21. I think that just goes through 21 because there would be no games logged through 22. But there's, there's sometimes there's a, I know it might not be on, might not be on there anyway on pro football reference where there would be an active indicator there for it's okay. Don't sweat it. So, so anyway, open-ended, very positive result. If he would end up to be Malcolm Jenkins. Now, if I'm, there's two things about this. I would, I would bring up as questions. The first is when you're dealing with a high first round pick uh, or even a mid first round pick, by taking a seven pick band, you may be in a position where on the upside, you're uh, dealing with a lot of skewing where there's exceptional additional value. And if you're going the downside, it's, it, it flattens out more. And I think you're safe anytime after about round one. Yeah. And I thought about that. And I thought about truncating this where maybe at the top 10, I didn't go any mm-hmm. further. The This set of players in particular, it's actually funny. The... There's almost a perfect mix of Roy Williams, who's the eighth pick, Mark Barron, who's the seventh pick, who are sort of positives versus 50th percentile, then Dante Whitner and Michael Huff, who are the eighth and seventh pick, respectively, who are negatives against the 50th percentile. So mm-hmm. here your, your your top players were actually Troy Palomalu, Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. pick 16, Earl Thomas, probably a Hall of Famer, pick 14, and then Malcolm Jenkins, who we just spoke about, pick 14. So everyone... Uh, sort of hitting above their, that's hitting above their weight was actually drafted 14th pick or later. Ha- happened to work out that way. That doesn't necessarily express the value Absolutely. in terms of this week. And, and with Hamilton being, you know, such an obvious value pick and the Ravens, you know, talking about him being the, the, the fifth or the sixth best player on their board. Uh, would it, do you think the banding is proper for him? And I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you should change it because your method is outstanding and I want to really go through your method, but, but I'm wondering, should we even consider it a win if he ends up being Malcolm Jenkins or would that actually perhaps be a little bit less than what the Ravens are currently expecting out of Kyle Hamilton, given the, that they, they drafted him entirely for value and he, you know, maybe the seventh pick was a more reasonable place to start the banding. I would say that that is a fair uh, a fair point. The only the only counter I would say is that I think every team or most teams at least say that they Pick got the, the top guy on their board who yeah. should have been drafted ten picks <laughs> earlier. So uh, I, I like to think that's the case with Hamilton, but I think a lot of teams would say that the same thing for the guys they draft. 
Sure. Okay. So that makes sense. Anyway, I, I don't want to stomp on the, the time you're spending explaining your method because this is just great. So anyway, set a reasonable expectation for players. If the guy ends up being Barron or Griffin, I don't think the Ravens fans would consider it a win considering that, you know, they, they went opposed to need, they got a BPA player and they got a, uh, a you know, a guy hopefully who's, who's going to produce towards the top end of that. Let's, let's move on to Tyler. Absolutely. So Tyler Lindenbaum, center, uh, drafted at the pick 25. So that gives us a band from uh, pick 18 through pick uh, 32. So Mm -hmm. basically the back half of the first round. This uh, sample of players yielded seven players, and there's an incredibly high floor, at least in this data set, on centers drafted in the first round. So the absolute worst guy drafted as a center in the first round was Chris Spencer to Seattle out of Mississippi. Almost started 100 games in his career, was a six-year starter, primary mm-hmm. starter. That's the absolute floor, which in other position groups, you do not see that kind of production or that kind of scoring for the the, the worst guy in the sample. Right. So traditional draft logic would say it, get people who impact the passing game, and a center is pretty far from impacting the passing game directly. Uh, so you, you, you if you're drafting a guy like that, you're probably um, going – selecting above positional value within the draft. And so you're going to tend to get a better player. Now, this is really unusual, but in recent years, the last decade of picks, which I've looked at specifically for centers, there've been a lot of failures. There've been some big successes too, but it's very highly correlated to arm length. So anyway, please tell us about the, about the 50th and 75th percentile here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the 50th percentile is Jeff Hardings, who Detroit drafted out of Penn State. He's an 11-year primary starter, two Pro Bowls, all pro, played from 96 to 2006. That would seem like a good outcome here. But again, yeah. the, the reasonable expectation or, or what's, what's shooting par for center is a really high bar. Yeah. Um, and then your 75th percentile, uh, Marquise Pouncey. I think he's getting a lot of credit for the number of Pro Bowls um, because the two players that flank him, actually, I would consider to be better players. Yeah, I agree. Um, so Alex Mack comes in as the number one player in this group who was a longtime starter with Cleveland. And then Nick Mangold comes in right between Marquise Pouncey and Jeff Hardings. Um, but they're all pretty concentrated, actually, in a relatively narrow band of AV. So Jeff Hardings, who we talked about as the 50th percentile guy, is at a 70. Nick Mangold at 73. Marquise Pouncey at 78. Alex Mack at 86. So not a huge differentiation and a lot of really good players there. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's incredible that the, the the study period actually has a much more concentrated group of outstanding players at center in the band that you chose relative to the last decade, where it's been very hit or miss. Garrett Bradbury just getting uh, declined his fifth year option by the Vikings, who's had a lot of problems, and who's the other guy, short arm guy, Billy Price for Cincinnati, who never really settled in at center, a re- rare, really bad first round bust. But then there's also three pro bowlers in the group, that, and I'm forgetting the names right now. But uh, I think Travis Frederick fits in the group. Travis he? Frederick is in the group, yes. He's of guys drafted at first round at center in the last decade or so. Cam Irving also originally was was drafted as a center, although he's he's played all over the line, never really got a position. He wasn't very good either, so. It was the guy in New Orleans as well, I think, right? Who a lot of Ravens fans wanted to draft him. His name is escaping me a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I I put out a tweet about this, and then I forgot some of the information. But you're you're uh, you're right. There's three guys there, and and includes three pro. Uh, sorry, six guys who primarily played center. Eight guys in total who were drafted originally to play center, and and that uh, uh, ended up with various degrees of success. But three were were Pro Bowlers. Yeah, and I think the the key takeaway here is that the the floor or the the bar that you're evaluating a pick at as a, of a center in the first round mm-hmm. is incredibly high. So Linderbaum better be a near decade long starter, make some pro bowls or else this pick is going to look very suspect given kind of what's the reasonable expectation at this position. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, in terms of, I think a lot of people have said that already, but I think one thing people don't really talk about is this being a high floor pick. I mean, I think in point of fact, looking at his traits and his and his length and whatnot, he's an extremely high variance player. If if it works out for him, if he can get by, uh, you know, if he can if he can work with his lack of length 
he's going to be a terrific NFL player. And, and uh, it, it'll be interesting because I think it's, it's, he's pretty much a boomer bust, but your methodology would say the floor is very high and that, you know, this is an easy double, you know, or, or, or maybe even an easy triple given the, the, the players who've been drafted there before. Yeah. I think it, it sort of depends how you, you look at it. Um, you know, someone just being drafted in this range is not inherently making them a better player. But assuming the Ravens have done the right, you know, diligence and and know the guy they're taking, you should feel somewhat comfortable that we're at least getting a good starter out of this. Right. All right. Outstanding. So uh, I feel better about Linderbaum already. Let's uh, let's keep going. So the next pick, a really interesting one. So David Ajabo, uh, our second round pick, um, announces a linebacker. So he's compared to the group of linebackers that were drafted within this band of picks. So you're going to get some inside guys, some outside guys. This is one of the positions that the data for draft position gets a little a little wonky because you're going to have pass rushers, then you're going to have some inside guys. <clears throat> but in total, there were 47 players drafted within this range of the draft who were announced as linebackers. Uh, the 24th pick, who would be our 50th percentile, is Koa Misi, who was drafted by Miami. He was a starter for six years. Uh, Played 84 games, started 72. Reasonably good player, but uh, comes in with an AV of 30. Um, I'll pause there for a second. Well, we got Tommy Polly right behind him, who yep. a lot of people know from his time with the Ravens and his time at, I think he went to Polly here in, in Baltimore too. So uh, I know he's a Baltimore guy. Maybe I had that wrong. But anyway, it, it, Tommy Polly, uh, uh, five-year starter in the league, and then he came to came to Baltimore to start for a year. There's a lot of inside linebackers on this list is one thing I'm noticing and, and fewer outside linebackers. It seems like, I mean, I'm seeing Ray Malaluga is on the list and, and players like that. Daryl Smith is on the list. Uh, relatively few total pro bowls uh, played by this group, which is a little surprising, but I guess that would, that would raise two questions to me. One is, are we reasonable in our expectations of a and, and I, I know everybody thinks of him as a top 10 talent who just dropped because of the injury and a year from now, everything's going to be fine. But the fact of the matter is the, the um, he's the 45th pick. That's how he was valued by the Ravens. The, the expectation bar should actually be significantly lower for a that he needs to hurdle to be a good pick. And I, you know, everybody wants a to come back this year get his developmental year in, get some sacks in while we're doing it, and then have three outstanding years of production, which force him into the eventual Ravens ring of honor. Okay. So that's, that's the goal. But, uh, but to be reasonable about expectations for a job, second round picks drafted around number 45 at linebacker have not been particularly spectacular. No. And one interesting thing you, you mentioned that you're seeing a lot of inside linebackers here. I, I tried to, mess around with the data to see if there's something I could do, maybe combining defensive ends and linebackers or other things to get what's maybe a, a better comparable set. But most of the defensive ends I was finding were more three, four defensive end types. And I think that might be a, I was gonna say a quirk in the data, but rather the way players are drafted that you don't get a lot of pure edge pass rushers. So more like a five tech, you're saying a three, four DE. Yeah. Or Okay. Yeah. That were announced as defensive ends at draft time, but that I think there might be a dearth of pure, you know, pass rush, big sack producer guys that are taken in the uh, front end of the second round to really fill out that, that comparable set, because those guys are either drafted in the first round or they have sufficient deficiencies that or significant deficiencies that push them back later, potentially. Okay. Well, you know, you know what? I, I think it wouldn't even matter if this were wide receiver. And the reason is you're looking at value. And so you're seeing here, this, this, these players drafted at number 45 have this approximate value over time. Let's see if we can get that. And somebody else can judge on the back end whether Ajaba was as important to the Baltimore Ravens as X receiver drafted at number 45 was to the Cincinnati Bengals whenever they drafted him. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that that discussion could be made. But the methodology is just excellent here. I love what you've done here in terms of, of – uh, of the percentile rankings. Let's, let's keep going here. Absolutely. So next player was Travis Jones, the third round pick. There were 28 defensive tackles taken within that 15 round or 15 pick band. Uh, the median player is somewhere between tank Tyler, who was the 14th best in this group produced 11 AV by playing 43 games. And he went to Kansas city. The other player we have here is Kenny Peterson. Who's the 15th best also with 11 AV, 
played 76 games, starting 15 uh, with Green Bay. So both of those players are one-year primary starters uh, who played, you know, in in the the double di- mid double digits worth of games total for their respective teams. Okay, I'm wondering if there's something about defensive tackle which is making it harder for people to get uh, starter credit. Maybe it's based on I don't know I don't know how they do it. In fact, they probably do it just by games. Actual games started, they they would do it by. Okay, so there may be issues that it's more difficult to get on the field, but that would probably be a five tech or something where they, where you're forced into the nickel to start the game, literally on the first play of the game. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I know how to evaluate all of the, the starter numbers on this list would be my question. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got Kenny, uh, Kenny Peterson there with 15 games started in his career and tank Tyler with 19. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way that they could have been more than a primary starter for a single season, but to your point, they could have been rotational players, heavy rotational players that played multiple seasons. Um, but their respective hey. careers are only, in the, the case of Tank Tyler, three years. Three years, yeah. Kenny Peterson, six years. Yeah, Ty- Tyler was a player, I think he was very highly regarded when he came out. That's my recollection. He's the, he's the one who played for the Bears. No, well, you have Kansas City, but I, I thought I remembered him playing with the Bears. I think you're I, thinking of, um, uh, there's another Tank. Uh, okay, Tank, tank Williams you know, or something? T- tank something, yeah. There's another okay. Tank that famously played for the, Okay, Um, but I think what you see here with the third round pick numbers putting aside for a second that run stuffing defensive tackles can sometimes have a have trouble accumulating AV the way Mm -hmm. it it parses out credit for uh, the points per drive success of of the team because they're not accumulating very many uh, statistics by which to to credit them so a, a Marcus Peters who has a lot of interceptions for example gets a lot of AV credited to him as a, as a cornerback, whereas you don't necessarily get that credit for a run stuffing defensive tackle in the methodology of AV. Um, but that really shouldn't affect our comparison here because we're comparing like to like with defensive tackles. Okay. Um, kind of going up to the top end of the, the, the comparison comparative set here, uh, our 75th percentile player is Terrence Knighton who Jacksonville drafted out of temple, uh, had a six year career, seven year career. Uh, six of those is the primary starter, Played 108 games, started 96, no Pro Bowls, no All Pros, but you know seems to be a solid player, solid result. Okay, so a couple things about this group. One is there's absolutely zero All Pros in the group, even though Jarrell Casey, who made five Pro Bowls, is the number one guy on the list. And the only other guy who has even a Pro Bowl appearance is Randy Starks, the number two guy with two. After that, your total starting years are not much. This is very different from the center group we looked at with Linderbaum. I think this is another pick where I would hope Travis Jones is more like the 55th player and his banding as a value pick is really hopefully, hopefully the Ravens will do better than the 50th percentile of this group. I'll just say that, that obviously uh, shooting and hitting at the 50th percentile. I'm, I'm not even sure hitting at the 75th percentile would be all that exciting, but hitting the 50th percentile definitely would not be in this group. Yeah, and I mean that's part of the uh, the point of this exercise, right? Is that I would say the same thing as you that mm-hmm. if you told me he was going to be Terrence Knighton, I, I wouldn't be particularly thrilled. Um, but what can I reasonably expect? Even if you told me that he was going to be Randy Starks, I don't know off the off first blush that I would be over the moon about that. But when you look at the actual historical draft data, where Randy Starks was the best, second best player out of this group, played you know had about an 11 year career out of Maryland. You should be ecstatic about that, actually, if that's what uh, uh, T- Travis Jones ends up being. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I I would agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of guys here who played a lot of football games uh, in the 75th percentile and high. So that's, that's one positive thing. Um, you know, the Ravens, the way they use their players rotationally, they're never going to, going to rack up a ton of AV, but they put, would, we won't get into that. I don't want to get too deep into the AV methodology, but I think that it just takes points per drive on offense and defense and divides that out among the players. I don't know that it, that it gets into statistics as much as it gets into pro bowls and all pros and a rotational defensive tackle is never going to be all pro or pro bowl. So you, you, you it's always the guys like Aaron Donald who play a, a, a distinctly higher percentage of the snaps, even Haloti Nada in the Ravens rotational system, very difficult time ever getting to the pro bowl. I think he finally might've, but but it took him a long time to finally get one. Yeah, absolutely. And then 
in this band, you start to see a couple, there's not a ton, but you start to see at the bottom end of the range, lots of zero accumulations. Um, yeah. In terms of no games played. And I, I don't want to backtrack too much or jump around ta- across the tabs here, but one thing we didn't mention on the Ajabo tab, uh, the Ajabo comparison is the very last player in that ranking is a familiar name, Sergio Kindle. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> zero AV. Um, but in some ways that, again, I don't want to backtrack too much here. There is sort of a bimodal uh, expectation of potential for Ajabo as a pick that I don't know that the 50th percentile is the right way to think about it because I think he's a little bit of a home run swing given the injury. Mm-hmm. We think we're getting the 10th best player or whatever you might think he is at a much later pick because of the injury risk. So in, in the back of my mind, it's either he's a zero or he should be at the very top end of that range. Right there. That tells me that the, the Ajabo pick is probably better than I've been giving it credit for. I'm, I'm upset that he's missing a year, but the, the fact that he's a home run swing, when you have a bunch of guys at the bottom end who really don't give you any value, particularly once you take out the replacement level, you know, you, you have a chance to get a guy who can give you, um, you know, thirty to seventy AV? Not not during his rookie contract, but thirty to seventy AV over the course of his career. Maybe even more than that uh, if it really works out. Yep. All right, outstanding. Let's let's keep going. So next we have Fa Lele. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, in the very beginning of the fourth round, and so offensive tackles in that very early uh, fourth round spot, we have twenty two of them. Uh, <clears throat> We have 22 of them, and the median expectation is somewhere between Ray Willis, who Seattle drafted in 2005 out of Florida State, uh, played 44 games for them starting 26, and then Nat Dorsey, who Minnesota drafted in 2004 out of Georgia Tech, played 40 games starting nine. So both were primary starters for a single season, um, and then no Pro Bowls, no All Pros between those. Okay, so just looking over the palette of choices at tackle, offensive tackle, highly valued draft position, and and it seems to me you really are taking lottery tickets when you take developmental tackles at this point. Even some of the players who are on the list, uh, the number seven overall guy is one of the worst performing PFF offensive tackles of all time, and that's Bobby Massey. Yeah, and so that's the difference between Uh, PFF and the AV methodology, because AV methodology is going to give a lot of credit for, uh, for playtime, for, for showing up, you you start the game. Yep. It's a hundred percent. So just the AV methodology, it's 100% related to playing time, pro bowls and all pros on the offensive line. So they, 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 they look at offensive points per drive. They automatically give 45% to the offensive line. And then they uh, only adjust how those points are given out among the five starting or the five linemen, the all the linemen, I should say, based on uh, pro bowls and all pros. Which, without getting too down in the weeds of or, or nitpicking the AV methodology too much or being too harsh on it, because it is very good for our purposes today, mm-hmm. uh, the zero-sum nature of it can be a little difficult because if a yes. uh, if your left tackle makes the all pro, everyone necessarily gets worse along his line. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, the offensive line was only so good. And Ronnie Stanley in 2019 lowered Bradley Bozeman's score, for example. Exactly. Um, But then on the top end of this list, your absolute best player by the AV metric here, and I don't think it's close looking at their careers, Jari Evans, who New Orleans took in 2006 out of Bloomsburg. But longtime starter for them, multiple All-Pros. I think he's, yeah, he's the only All-Pro on this grouping six pro bowls. Um, that would be an absolute, uh, home run. Grand He's slam. the best player here. John Runyon coming in at number two, longtime player for uh, the Eagles, even though he was drafted by Houston, um, the 75th percentile. So kind of the, the start of what we should consider an incredibly successful pick would be Ryan Tucker, who the St. Louis Rams drafted in 1997 out of TCU, uh, played for them for about played in the NFL rather for about a decade, uh, Six seasons as a primary starter, played 134 games, started 102. So pretty good result, but mm-hmm. no Pro Bowls, no no All Pros. And David Stewart there, the, the Tennessee tackle. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that would be a pretty fantastic result. Um, Follow Lely, based on where he's drafted, if he weren't the size he was, is is quite likely to be a forgotten player. You know, he we'll, we'll remember him because he's going to do some things as a gadget player, probably with the Ravens that will keep him remembered. He'll he'll, he'll be what 
Odinata was the offensive line in the 2008 to 2010 period. But uh, boy, it's uh, there's certainly no guarantees at this point. We do hope, you know, one of the distinctions I don't like is calling late later round draft picks lottery tickets. I, I think they're more like poker entries. And I'm sorry if people are hearing this for about the third time, but it's always nice when I repeat points because I, this is an important one for me is, you know, if, if, if a great poker player and a lousy poker player enter the, the same tournament, yeah, they each have the same chance to win in theory. They still have the same starting chips and the same rules and everything. But the great po- poker player has a better chance because he's a great poker player. And that's more like what it, what the lottery ticket system is. If, if the Ravens have six or fourth round picks, they're going to do better on average, is my opinion, than, than another team with six fourth round picks. And you can show that from years of data. And yet there are still people who call them lottery tickets. And then they kind of latch on to the notion that it's just all luck. You know, you're going to drive. There, there was, there's a luck component to everything. There's luck and injuries and whatnot. But please, let's not call it drafting luck. It, it invalidates everything, every dollar you ever paid to a general manager. Yeah. And the other component of that, all, all gambling terms here, but people will also call the draft a crapshoot and say it doesn't matter where a guy was picked and, you know, no one knows anything. But, and I hope we can share this link out and people can follow along with it. But as you can see, in the Falalele comparison, you're starting to see that bottom part of the uh, AV creep up where you're seeing zero AVs round by round. It's getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. That, that waterline of where a guy is completely contributing zero approximate value to their team. I mean, the, the honestly, the 50th percentile in the fourth round is basically a replacement level player. Exactly. Yeah. So he's, they, these guys stayed on and they played a few games. But uh, playing forty or forty-four games at a at a marginal level is is obviously not what the Ravens are hoping for in terms of draft picks. So they they really are shooting for a uh, a well above average result. So if they were rolling dice, they might be looking for a nine or a ten minimum. Anything else less than that is a loss uh, on a pick like this. And hopefully, with the Ravens' judgment, they only need a nine. Another team is a ten. Yep. All right. So if we go on to the next player, uh, Jalen Armour Davis, the cornerback out of Alabama, the DB set for kind of early to mid fourth round is a fairly large one. A lot of teams taking a lot of swings on defensive backs at this point in the draft. So in the data set, we have 65 uh, players classified as DBs. So this does include centers or not centers, cornerbacks and safeties rather. Um, But the 50th percentile player in this group uh, number 33 is uh, Terrell Berea. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly, but it was a draftee by Seattle in 2002 out of Georgia. Um, uh, contributed six AV, had one season as a primary starter, played 29 games total, started 12 in his career. Um, a couple other players that might be recognizable around there. Um, Darius Johnson was a player who played like half a decade for Denver. There's a few others, but Part-time player at this point is the median expectation. Okay. All right. So this is a, hopefully you get a guy who can jump in if, if necessary. And in Armour's case, I think he's drafted a, a Armour Davis's case. He's drafted exactly uh, with that thought in mind is that he can be Marcus Peters replacement in 2023. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, can, can be good enough to play outside corner when called upon in the NFL. Yeah, and you start to see some pretty good players as you get in the top uh, top 25th percentile or the top quartile of this group. So the cut line for the top quartile is Will Blackman. He's the player that comes in at the 75th percentile uh, with 16 AV, played almost 100 games in his career, started 30 for Green Bay. Pretty good player, but then it goes from him all the way up through Asante Samuel is at the very top end of this group who uh, is not a Hall of Famer, but I thought he was but i guess he's not but the not yet. new england uh db yeah he'll he'll oh, wow you're you're right that's crazy that he's not in i'm sure he'll go uh, at some point i i, I want to point out one player who has been compared a lot uh to jalen armor davis is anthony averett drafted a similar spot number 1819 sorry number 118 for uh anthony averett and he has currently, and still building on this total, 10 career AV in 44 games. So you can see the Ravens really got a, a, a darn good player in Averett. Uh, 
that they're, they're drafted and and had significant playing time for them. Yeah, and I'm actually this is a whole other topic, but it's not even just Averett; it's multiple of the Ravens' free agents this year. I was surprised by some of the deals they got in free agency. You would think that they were lower. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, we were talking midseason, and Anthony Averett was playing well. And uh, you know, depending on how he had finished the season, he might have been looking at ten million dollars a year, and that certainly didn't materialize. Yep. All righty, let's keep going here. So the next player we have is Charlie Kohler, <clears throat> the tight end out of Iowa State. Uh, in this group, players drafted around him. We have 19 tight ends that were taken in the 120s to 130s of the or the fourth round. Mm-hmm. The median expectation, the 50th percentile player is Derek Fine, who Buffalo drafted in 2008 out of Kansas. Um, and which player is the 50th percentile? This is where it starts to get a little questionable because – you're having a lot of ones, twos, threes, and you could rank these players probably based on subjective criteria in different different ways. Um, mm-hmm. But Derek Fine, Buffalo drafted, was a one-year starter, played 18 games total in his career, starting 11, um, put up two a two weighted AV. Okay, so obviously you're not you you really can't hope that a 50th percentile player materializes out of out of your selection here it won't do you any good right um but the the 75th percentile player yep our 75th percentile player is terry hardy who arizona drafted in 1998 two seasons as a primary starter played in 49 games in his career starting 37 av of 10 so you start to get a pretty useful player there had a total career length of about four years that's that's about like Anthony Averett. If Anthony Averett had just stopped playing football this year for some reason, Terry Hardy might have been hurt. We really don't know. But uh, uh, interesting. That's uh, it's not not a lot. Those fourth round picks they don't tend to work out. That you look at the top of the group here. You have Julius Thomas up there, who's a good player for Denver for a number of years. Made two Pro Bowls. Yeah, interesting. Just for comparison's sake he would have a much higher expectation because he was drafted in the first round, but Hayden Hurst to this point in his career, who some people have said, you know, Kolar and likely could they be the replacement in the Ravens offense for what Hayden Hurst provided in his career to date already has 13 AV, which is not spectacular or not what you would want out of a first round player. But um, I don't think you can expect what Hurst has done to this point from this draft position. Right. Right. Fair enough. Okay. Or maybe put another way, just really quickly before we move on, if you were to get that, what Hurst has done in his career from this draft position, you should actually be thrilled about it because that would be uh, doing quite well for this fourth round value. Yeah, it, and and it would be the start on something bigger. You'd hope if he if he was re-signed by the Ravens, he'd produce. If he was not re-signed by the Ravens, you'd get a comp pick. You'd you'd have you'd have value there. Just I, obviously Hayden Hurst was a first round pick, so it, it, it didn't work out for him. Right. But, Wanted uh, to put that delicately. Like you would yeah. expect more out of Hayden Hurst given his draft slot. If fans yeah. would like to get the production, replace the production that Hayden Hurst has put up to his career, that would be a very good outcome for this pick. That specific yeah, good, production level. Good point. Um, Your next you know, player I'm probably the most interested in of any to see what the results look like. Yeah, so Jordan Stout, I actually had to put my thumb on the scale on the methodology a little bit just because the number of players drafted within a specific 15-pick band was pretty slim. So I actually went to all punters drafted in the fourth and fifth round of the data set, which gave us a little bit better grouping here. Okay. Um, And the exact median player, so there were 13 punters that were drafted in the fourth or fifth round during this 20-year sample. Of those 13, the seventh, who would represent the 50th percentile pick or 50, 50th percentile result, rather, is Josh Bidwell, who punted in the NFL for a decade. A lot of these names might be recognizable because drafted punters tend to, to hang around for a while. Um, mm-hmm. But Josh Bidwell played in almost 150 games in his career, uh, made one Pro Bowl, uh, but that that's your 50th percentile player. Between him and the 75th percentile is a recognizable name, Dave Zastadil. Uh, former Raven, played in the league for 12 years. And then our 75th percentile would be Mike Cyphers, who the Chargers drafted, who I was I surprised to see never made an all-pro or a pro bowl, but uh, 
was a longtime player, had about 13 years in the league, playing 195 games. And so if, if we could get that out of Stout, I think that would be a something we could be happy about as a replacement uh, for Cook. Absolutely. And even Sam Cook, as good as he's been playing in the league for 16 years, has only 25 career AV. So there's just there's not a lot there to to be shooting for at the upper end. So the Ravens, actually, it's an unusual pick because they can hope to get value on this player beyond the initial um, contract without overpaying for it too much. Like in another position, you paying market value means a large portion of the cap has to be set aside. At punter, even Sam Cook only is scheduled to make about three million this year. So, I, I, you know, you can if you get the the combination of punter and holder you want, you still get value out of this fourth round pick. And that's something we've seen with Justin Tucker as well. Even though he was not drafted, um, mm-hmm. but his contract you can pay him fifty percent over the next highest paid kicker and feel like you're getting a good deal of what he means for the team. And he's obviously a unicorn. We can't expect to get the Justin Tucker of, of punters here. But uh, yeah, the, the question is often asked, would you trade Justin Tucker for a first round draft pick? And it, it actually is a very difficult question. Uh, it's, it's, it's not an obvious yes, by any means. Well, yeah, if you try to, if you try to answer it, it's interesting because probably the, if you say there's 32 kickers just in the NFL, I'm sure number 32 through two, you pretty much say no. And then you get to Justin Tucker and, you almost want to say yes, or I'm sorry, you would absolutely trade them for anything almost. Mm-hmm. And then you get to Justin Tucker and it almost flips completely. And you wonder, would you trade him for anything? <laughs> anything reasonable. Um, anyway. All right. So I would like to, I would like to put this link up on the site and we have to cut it off uh, here. If, do you want to talk about Tyler Beatty for a second? I, I, we're going to skip likely and Demarion Williams, and we can put the link on the site. If people want to go look at you know where the 75th percentile, the 50th percentile is, uh, you know, that, that, that'll be great. But talk about Tyler Beatty for a second and what you can really expect to get out of pick 196. Yeah. So this is, I think we talked about it earlier where you really start to see tons, lots of zeros at the bottom end of the range. The 50th percentile players, because it's, there's 24, so the 50th percentile is somewhere between 12 and 13, but are the last two players with any positive AB contribution <laughs> uh, in, the, in the grouping. So Aaron Brown and James Davis. And James Davis is a fairly recognizable name. Went to Clemson, was drafted by Cleveland, played for about, I think he had a two-year career, but really only played one year, I believe because of injury. Um, but they're the very back end of players who contributed any positive value in this group. Um, so you get a lot of special teamers, a lot of guys who play part-time duty. But if Tyler Beatty can play games basically for the Ravens, it'll be a positive contributor. Yeah. What's what's what would be? Let's put it in a different set. What would be your your to get value out of this pick? How many touches does he need to get as a Baltimore Raven in his first four years? I've got a number in mind. I'm writing mine down. Not that not that it's a big secret or anything. But what what would you say? So to get value out of the pick, probably 200 or about 50 I was gonna a year. Say, I was going to say 250. Okay. So, so uh, I, I think that would be, I think that would actually be really good. If you got 250 touches, maybe about a thousand total uh, yards or let's call it 1250, 1400, including receiving yards, maybe because uh, a lot of his touches will come as a receiver. I think that would that would actually be a win for this pick, and he could he could fill a valuable role. Ravens, you know, if you look at their past, they've always uh, very quickly found replacement running backs whenever they needed one. And it's a, actually a little strange that they've gotten attached to a bigger contract with Gus Edwards, who they when they had not typically signed these kind of deals in the past, or not for a while anyway. Yeah, I mean that result you just described would be great for for Tyler Beatty. Um, as a quick aside, it's it's funny the uh, some of the top players here. Speaking of players that can do a lot with lesser running backs, are uh, <clears throat> Terrell Davis, who is a Hall of Famer, and Mike Anderson. Both went to Denver, both in this same same range. But uh, mm-hmm. not a reasonable expectation for a sixth round pick. But getting to your point of of teams that do more with less uh, in terms of investment at the running back position, those Shanahan teams in in Denver uh, were able to make do with this exact draft position. It's all about scheme. If you've yeah. got a if you've got a run scheme where you you know how to fit in backs based on their talents, I think you 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 really have something. And you you know most places, I think that's a complete load of crap. Like on the offensive line, I don't think you have to be a, a particularly be a gap or zone blocker because I think that good scheme can make you 
good in either system. Like Roman scheme, I don't think it's I don't think the fact that he's thought of as mainly a, a zone guy is going to hurt Linderbaum. I think I think his arm length generally could hurt him as a pass blocker, but I don't think it's going to be the run scheme that's actually going to hurt him. Yep. And the last thing I'll say about Tyler Beatty is I think he's a good example of why this is a valuable exercise, or at least I think this is a valuable exercise to think through kind of what is the reasonable expectation for a given pick? Because if he were to get those 200 or 250 touches for however many yards we just said that he could go for, and we get to you know three or the third or fourth year of this contract and he either gets released in the fourth year because of declining option value or they let him walk as a free agent, there's a lot of fans that might look back and say – not a great pick. What did he really do here? Uh, not exciting. But when you look at this grouping, if he were to get that number of touches, we'd probably have him well into the 75th percentile, if not higher, of this group. Um, and, and that would be a great pick. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that, uh, uh, you know, is, is very clearly underscored by your data. So we're going to put this up. We'll put the link up. Look on the website for it, filmstudybaltimore.com. Along with this podcast, it'll be right below that. You can go in and you can see the data. And it's fascinating to look at this and look at some of the names that didn't work out and the ones that did both. Uh, great job, Spencer. Really appreciate you putting this together. These kind of things take time. How, how, long, how many hours did you spend putting this together? Well, luckily, uh, Football Reference makes it a little easier nowadays to to export the data from their database. But uh, it took maybe an hour or two to put it all together. Okay. Well, fantastic work and 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 great kind of a framing up of what the Ravens can can hope to get from their draft picks. And we'll see if the Ravens, uh, you know, clear the hurdles in each of these cases at the at the fiftieth percentile at a minimum. But uh, Spencer, tell folks again where they can talk football with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SpencerCP. So S-P-E-N-S-E-R-C-P on Twitter. All right, outstanding. Other folks out there, if you want to be on a film study short, this is that time of year. Hit me up with your ideas on Twitter. DMs are always open. Looking for a 20 to 30 minute topic. These topics always end up being so good. We end up spending almost an hour on them. Uh, But thanks for doing that, Spencer. And um, really appreciate having you on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.